That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. Episode 17. Thanks for listening. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. And today my topic is travel. Got a couple of travel stories for you. First of all, I'm going to tell you how I survived a cyclone on a cruise ship. That is one story they never did on the love boat. And remember a couple of weeks ago when a guy was dragged off of a United Airlines flight? Well, it turns out that airlines purposely make your travel experience miserable. They do it purposely. They do it for a reason. And there is a name for this practice. It is calculated misery. Calculated misery. Well, I will explain what that is, and you will wind up hating the airlines even more if that's possible. That and much more right here on Hollywood and Levine. Who doesn't love to hear a good near-death experience? Or in my case, a near-really-got-sick experience. But still, I survived a cyclone in the middle of the Tasman Sea. Now, that's something, right? I don't think I'm going to be able to sell the movie rights, but still, it makes, it makes for a good story, and I thought I would share it today. This happened a number of years ago. I was invited to speak on a cruise ship, and these are great deals. I just lectured two or three times, and I got a two-week free trip on a first-class cruise liner, along with my significant other, which in this case, I chose my wife. And we went from Sydney, Australia to Auckland, New Zealand. And it was a great trip. Like I said, it was just a first-class ocean liner. And they have uh, those those big stabilizers on the ship. So even if uh, the sea is a, a little bit choppy, you really don't feel it. So we went all through Australia, and that was great. And then we went to Tasmania. And in Tasmania, my wife got off the ship. She had to go back to work in Los Angeles. So she left, and we waved goodbye and set off across the Tasman Sea to New Zealand. And it was a little choppy, and it was more than a little choppy. By the time we woke up the next morning, even with the stabilizers, you kind of got the feeling that uh, there was a storm brewing, but the uh, bridge had called the uh, New Zealand Weather Department and said, what's going on here? Because the winds are pretty bad. 
and they said, oh, it, it should die down. You should be okay. You're able to continue on your present course. Well, the weather department was wrong because the winds increased and increased, and suddenly there were 120-mile-an-hour winds, and the waves were like 55 feet. And so if you were on the observation deck, which is deck 11, you were seeing waves splashing against the front windows. I mean, we're talking, uh, you know, this is, like you know, those surfers that you see on the North Shore, those kind of waves, and we were crashing right through those. Well, needless to say, the boat was rocking and a-rolling, and this was now late in the afternoon. And at one point, they decided that the best way to weather this storm, because now we're stuck in the middle of it, there was really nothing we could do, was to turn the ship around and basically face the brunt of the storm. So they turned the ship around and they made like a whoop kind of turn. And I was sitting in the bathroom at the time and it's like the ship just tipped 45 degrees. Suddenly everything on the counter went flying. In the observation deck, as I mentioned, that was deck 11, uh, there was a bar and behind the bar was cabinets with all of the liquor and all of the liquor just shot past the bar and across the room and crashed against the front window. That was the kind of turn it was. I don't have to tell you that people were getting sick left and right. I was popping Dramamines like they were Tic Tacs. And unfortunately, one of the very few obligations, and actually it really wasn't an obligation when you weren't going through uh, a cyclone, is that I hosted a table at dinner. And I figured, oh man, I I guess I should go down there. I don't know how many people are actually going to go down to dinner, but I figured, well, you know, I don't want to be a wuss. What if they all decide to go? And you figure too, on a cruise ship, everybody besides uh, me uh, is, is 150 years old. When you first get on a cruise ship, The first thing that you do, you have to go to a drill. You have to go to what is known as your muster station, and you have to bring with you your life jacket. Everybody is issued a life jacket, and you uh, put it on, and they show you how to strap yourself in. And, I mean, literally, there there are some people there. I'm looking at them, and I'm thinking, well, you survived the Titanic. You could survive this as well. Uh, but, uh, you know, after that, and of course, we all sort of take that lightheartedly, you know, nothing's really going to happen. And uh, after 15 minutes of this, uh, we go back and start drinking again. In fact, that's one of the things about this cruise. I know I'm jumping around a little bit, but that's one of the things about this cruise is that everything was included. It was, like I said, completely first class, and that meant all liquor was included. And we had some people, they got on the ship and they went to the pool bar and planted themselves down on bar stools. And that's where they were for the entire two weeks. I think they were even there during the cyclone. But these people saw nothing 
of Australia or New Zealand or Tasmania or anything from 8 o'clock in the morning until 3 o'clock in the morning uh, wearing their Green Bay Packer jerseys. They just sat at the bar and drank. Uh, so uh, they were still there, but I was deciding, okay, uh, should I go to dinner? Uh, might as well. And so I um, wobbled down the hallway and wobbled down the stairs. I was afraid to take the elevator, of course, by this point. And I'm telling you, the ship is just swinging from side to side. I go down to the dining room, and, of course, a very lavish meal was planned. And it was me and six other people in this giant dining room that usually seats 400 (laughs) There's not a lot of people uh, having dinner, Uh, not a lot of people. It was hard because, you know, you would take a bite and then your plate would slide off the table and crash against the window. So it was a little difficult to eat. And again, the, the waiters were not used to this. Nobody's used to a cyclone. And so they were green. I mean, their faces looked greener than the asparagus that they were serving. And I was talking to some of them, and most of the crew of a cruise ship, uh, they are uh, billeted down below in the first few levels, and uh, all of the passengers are on level 8 and 9 and 10, and they're on 1 and 2, and they have portholes. And one of them was saying that they went to their room and looked out the porthole, and they were underwater. There were fish swimming by. That was a, a little bit disconcerting. So uh, dinner is over. And I'm figuring, oh, my God, I'm going to go back to the room and just hang on and, you know, just try to ride this thing out. But they said that the entertainment, the show for the night, was still on, that it had not been canceled. It apparently was some lounge singer. Fortunately, it was not the night that they had the Circus de Soleil because uh, those people would all be dead. But I figured, well... If I go to the main showroom, those booths are bolted down, so I should be okay. And I was kind of curious to see what kind of show somebody could perform in a cyclone. So I wobbled my way, holding on to the handrails, uh, and made my way down to the showroom and got into one of the booths. And, you know, you're just holding on to the side as it is just tipping one way and then the other way. And if you've ever been on the teacups at Disneyland or Disney World, that's kind of what it felt like. So it was showtime, and this singer comes out, and he's some lounge singer from Australia wearing a tuxedo, and behind him was the uh, orchestra, which were four or five guys sitting behind bandstands. This guy gets out, and he starts singing. And the curtain is just swaying back and forth like a pendulum, back and forth. And this guy is standing there holding a mic. And every few seconds, of course, the ship uh, hits a wave. And so there is like another jarring bump. And so this guy is doing 
a 45-minute show where he's singing songs like More Than the Greatest Love the World Had Known. Well, I was hysterical. There were maybe 25 people who were there, and at the end, uh, he, he thanked everybody, and he thanked his band, and he turned around to all the guys and said, here, take a bow, stand up, and they all shook their heads, no, there's no way that they were standing up. So that was the show, and I crawled back to my cabin, and about one o'clock in the morning, uh, we were pretty much out of it, uh, it was still rocking and rolling a, a little bit, but much less, enough to where you could actually fall asleep. So I fall asleep, figuring, okay, this evening is over, and at 4 o'clock in the morning, I start hearing an alarm signal. Just, you know, scare the crap out of me. And over the PA system... I heard the captain say, this is a code blue. This is not a drill. This is a code blue. All crew members to your code blue stations. Wee, 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 thing is going. And I'm like, oh, what the hell is this? And then suddenly the power goes out. All of my lights are out and it's now pretty much pitch black. I don't know what a code blue is. They never mentioned... Uh, at the drill, what the fuck a code blue was. So I'm I'm in bed and I'm not dressed, and I'm figuring, well, uh, I guess I should probably get dressed and put on my life jacket. But then I can't see anything. And fortunately, my iPhone was on the nightstand, so I was able to grab it and turn on the flashlight and make my way to the uh, closet where I was able to put on some clothes and put on my life jacket, and I peek out the the doorway, and, you know, there's old people walking down the hallway, and I'm going, where are you going? And they said, we don't know. We don't know. It's code blue. Do you leave your cabins for code blue? We don't know. Are you going to your muster station? We don't know. And I figure, well, okay, until they tell me to go to my muster station, I should probably just hang out here in the cabin wearing my life jacket. And after about another five, ten minutes, the captain comes back on and says, um, Code Blue is over. Code Blue is over. Uh, the emergency has been taken care of. All crew members can go back and resume normal activities. Then the cruise director comes on the PA system, and he says, all smiles. Well, ladies and gentlemen, whoa, wasn't that kind of exciting? So here's what uh, happened. A code blue apparently is a fire, and a fire on a cruise ship is a major deal. There was a string of lights that apparently got blown off as a result of the storm, and one of the lights caused a spark, which set off a fire on one of the lounge chairs. And as I said, any kind of fire on a cruise ship 
is a major deal. And so that's why there was the code blue and they were able to put out the fire in about five, 10 minutes. And that was the end of it. But one of the things that I learned was that if you are in the area of the ship that has the fire, they turn off power in your section immediately. There were something like nine sections of the ship and eight of the nine still had power, electricity throughout this whole thing. I'm the only one who did not. And of course, it's really scary when you're completely sitting in the dark. And since nobody got any sleep, and oh yes, that's the other thing that the cruise director said after explaining this to us. He said, but it's all over and we invite you to enjoy the rest of your morning. You know, good night, everybody. Oh, yeah, like anyone's going to sleep at this point. So all of us who have now had maybe three hours sleep, and for 80% of the passengers, uh, they hadn't eaten the night before, or if they had eaten, uh, their dinner had long since left them. So we all staggered down to the dining room to have breakfast, and it was just unbelievable to hear some of the passengers complaining because the ship's internet was also out as a result of this. There was no Wi-Fi. And it's like they couldn't watch Morning Joe. They couldn't like anything on Facebook. They couldn't answer any emails. Like, what kind of hardship is this? And this is what they were complaining about. Meanwhile, I'm sitting naked, scared shitless in a dark cabin wondering what the hell to do. Well, that was uh, that was my rugged seafaring experience as I survived a cyclone. And you might say, boy, after that, you probably never want to go on a ship again. No, you know what? It's, it's a great experience. And I went on another cruise a couple of years later on the exact same ship. And happy to say, I survived that one too. Although the same people were at the pool bar wearing the same Green Bay Packer uniform. I don't even know if they realized that there was a cyclone. I envy people who know wine. Actually, I'm amused by people who know wine. I love to watch them order. They're just so pretentious. Uh, That wine is a little peppery uh, for me. Do you have something a, a little more fruit forward? Oh, my God. Listen, I like wine. I don't really know what is good or what is bad. All I know is what tastes good to me. And that is why I have gotten involved with Wink, W-I-N-C. It is a wine club. They send wine right to my home and I work with them based on my tastes and they send me great wines from all over the world. And I don't have to be pretentious either. It's a terrific deal, and I want you to try it out. Have a nice introductory offer for listeners of this podcast. You can get $22 off of your first order when you go to Wink, that's W-I-N-C, Wink.com, and type in slash Hollywood. And you get free shipping if you order four bottles or more. So, Just, uh, you know, don't call that sommelier or sommelier. See, I don't even know how you pronounce that. 
All you got to do is just uh, go to your computer and type in wink.com slash Hollywood and get $22 off your first order now. What the hell does Fruit Forward even mean? Hollywood and the Vine. Warning, this is a rant. You're probably going to want a glass of wine after you hear this story. Hey, airline travelers, have you heard of an expression called calculated misery? Airlines don't need happy customers to make money. The fact that they treat you like shit, they do that because they can. There was a great article in Vox.com about this sinister practice, and it's called calculated misery. Now, all the airlines know about this. Now you're going to know about it, too. See, it's common to pay extra for high-quality services, upgrades, etc., etc. So what the airlines now do is make the basic experience so miserable that you're forced to pay extra just to get what you used to get for free. All right? And look, here's the deal. People buy airline tickets based on schedule and price. So United may drag a guy off of a flight, but if United has the cheapest fare and they're flying when you want to go, you're going to buy a ticket from United Airlines. Okay, the friendly skies, right. But still, that's the deal. You go on websites, you look for the cheapest prices, and that's how you buy airline tickets. Everybody's looking for a bargain. So... How did the airlines offset this? By making the cheap fare experience such an incredible nightmare that you will just do anything to avoid it. Calculated misery. You will pay extra for things like a decent seat and legroom. They charge you for everything. Did you know that airline seats used to be 18 inches wide? And now, a lot of them are 16 inches. Or you can pay extra money and get one of the 18-inch seats. Now, Delta Airlines. Let's talk about Delta Airlines here for a second. If you buy one of the lowest-priced tickets on Delta, do you know that now you have to wait until after checking to get a seat assignment? This is called Basic Economy. So, essentially, what you're left with is the dregs. I mean, you're sitting practically on the wings. Now, you can get a main cabin ticket that allows you to pick a seat assignment upon purchase, but you're way ahead of me. you got to pay more. And they also have (laughs) a section called Delta Comfort, as opposed to the other sections, which should be called Delta Discomfort. But for Delta Comfort, you can get a seat with three extra inches of legroom on domestic flights. Now, they don't tell you it's three inches. They just tell you you get extra legroom. I'm telling you it's three inches. How much more do you pay for this lovely service? $100. You're paying $100 for three extra inches. And then there's the luggage scam. Okay, airlines now charge you for luggage, right? So people try to get around that by stuffing everything they can into carry-on bags. But that means that the overhead bins will fill up real quick. 
you know, you want to make sure that your bag uh, gets on, that they don't say, well, we can still check it in. Okay, you want to make sure that your bag is on that flight, right? Well, you simply pay extra for early boarding. And that's another thing, boarding. You know how now they board in groups? Well, research has shown that that is a very inefficient way of boarding an airplane. If they just let anybody on, no matter what your seat is, chances are it's going to go a lot smoother. But this takes more time. And again, if you're in group five, you're figuring, man, (laughs) there's no way that my carry-on is going to get in the overhead bin. So it's another way to force you to sign up for the early boarding feature. Again, it's another way of getting another 50 to $100 out of you, and we call that calculated misery. They've even found ways to profit off of the TSA screening. JetBlue offers something called even more speed, which means shorter lines, and you get through the TSA screening process a little bit faster, but of course, it costs a little bit more money. Look, here's the bottom line. 9-11 killed the airline industry. I mean, it took years and years for them to recover from 9-11. As late as 2013, airlines were still losing money. So what did they do? They consolidated. Do you realize now that four major airlines control 80% of the air traffic in the United States, okay? And as a result, they have managed to turn things around, I would say. Last year, the airlines made, are you ready? Okay, because this is a big number, and this is, you know, $5 here and $4 there, and they don't give you a blanket, and they don't give you the little nuts anymore, and it's three extra inches for 100 They made $20 billion in profit. $20 billion. Almost $4 billion in just luggage charges. So think about it. Why should they change? There's no competition. You are stuck. They have pretty much figured out how much you will take, and that is what they call calculated misery, and it's not going away. You are now free to go about screwing the public. Back with more after this. And another thing, stop lying to us. Not every flight is delayed due to weather at O'Hare. The Sydney to Los Angeles flight is not an hour late because of weather at O'Hare. Anyway, that is going to do it for Episode 17 of Hollywood and Levine. I'm Ken Levine. Thanks so much for listening. Also, thanks to Adam and Susie Butler, to Howard Hoffman, to John Wolford, and to Randy Thomas. Have you subscribed yet to this podcast? Please do. Also, if you would, I would love a five-star review. Those things really help me. And uh, beyond that, like I said... Thanks so much for listening. We'll do it again next time. Bye-bye. Hollywood and Levine. Look around. 
You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.